Welcome. It's 9th of May. In the 9th of May, 1945, the red flag was wa- waving over Reichstag. And Nazi Germany was defeated and the Red Army had crossed Berlin and was in Berlin and occupied the Reichstag. And this was the iconic moment that signaled the end of the Second World War when it comes to Nazi Germany. Now, why is this topic of any interest to us? Because there are many questions asked about the role of the Soviet Union in the Second World War. The traditional view is that Soviet Union at some point became an ally. Uh, it's also true that they bared a tremendous weight when it comes to the sacrifices made and the victims, uh, the people who lost their life to defeat Nazism, and therefore they deserved all the credit. However, many people, particularly within uh, the objectivist universe, tend to disagree and tend to say that Soviet Union, A, only changed their position vis-a-vis the Nazis in the middle of the war and only because they were attacked, and also perhaps most controversially that they would not have defeated the Nazis if it were not for the assistance they got from the West, but perhaps even more controversially that the West should not have allied to the Soviet Union and even according to some people, the West should have attacked the Soviet Union after the end of the Second World War. Now, obviously there is no objectivist take on this point and particularly what you're going to hear from me is how I think about this topic, but I'm not alone. I've got Mark with me today, and from some short chat we had before the episode, looks like we might not entirely agree, which is going to make it interesting. Hi, Mark. How are you doing, Nikos? Everything is good. good. So let us start then. So here's what we should do, Mark. I would say let's start from before the war, and let's stop at the major, let's pause at the major stops when it comes to the role of the Soviet Union, and then we can discuss them separately. So the first major point, the first yardstick, the first crucial date is the 23rd of August, 1939, because it's the day where the molotov Ribbentrop Pact is signed. Who was Molotov? Yeah. Molotov was the foreign minister of Soviet Union. Ribbentrop was the, so- the foreign minister of Nazi Germany. So Ribbentrop flies in... Soviet Union, he meets with Molotov, he meets with Stalin, and they sign a non-aggression pact. Now, this was a shock to the whole world. The Nazis came to power talking about uh, how they want to exterminate Judeo-Bolshevism. The Soviet Union had just came out of three years of the horrendous purges and the terror, much of of which, the rationale for which, was to exterminate Nazi spies and the Nazi threat from within. Also, Soviet Union has been uh, has been involved in the Spanish Civil War in a proxy war with Nazi Germany. And then in 39, they signed this pact. What do they each get? Nazi Germany gets grains and uh, imports, crucial at that stage of the war for the Germany. Soviet Union gets. Um, mechanical stuff, uh, stuff important for the war industry, and most importantly, half of Poland and a free hand in the Baltics. So because of the Molotov-Ribbentrop agreement, Soviet Union within some months attacks Finland, where they have a devastating 
devastating and shameful de- uh, defeat in the beginning, but then they overwhelm the Finnish resistance, so they de facto occupy a big part of Finland, and they again de facto occupy Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, which soon become parts of the Soviet Union. So this is the Molotov-Ribbentron agreement. Most communists would want to forget it, or they say that this was a strategic necessity. I don't think it was just a strategic necessity, and we can discuss this a bit further. Also, one of the most shameful moments in the history of agreements and in the history of immorality is Soviet Union, as part of this agreement, handing in to the Gestapo German communists that had fled to Soviet Union. So this is this is the morality of Stalin. This is the morality of uh, the Communist Party of Soviet Union. So Molotov-Ribbentrop agreement, first major stop. Mark, anything on that? Uh, yeah, I think that was very disillusioning to a lot of American communists as well. I think prominent playwrights like Arthur Miller, who were card-carrying communists, um, that was a major disillusion, point of disillusionment for them. Um, but let's not forget that the communists were agitating violence throughout America as well, because a lot of the labor unions and the American Communist Party itself got its marching orders from the Comintern. So they they um, they were violent here in America as well, even fomenting violence in, in Spain, fom- seizing territory in Eastern Europe and fomenting violence in the United States. You mentioned the shock. So imagine countries in Eastern Europe, Greece is an example, where the communists were in torture chambers, not giving up their cause, not giving up their ideas, to find out that Soviet Union has made the pact with Germany. And actually it gets worse. So again, very conveniently, the communists are going to tell you, look, we Stalin did this to earn some time, to get this significant time that he needed to rebuild and build further the military industry. But then what they forget is that in November of 1940, Molotov actually travels to Berlin. And he travels to Berlin with one very simple proposal for the Soviet Union to literally become part of the Axis, or as they called it, the trilateral, uh, the the tripartial agreement, uh, Italy, Japan, Nazi Germany. So once the war had begun, in, in Europe, and once everyone knew what who the imperialist was and who the occupier was, Soviet Union is desperate to cut a deal with Nazi Germany. What Soviet Union wants out of this deal is the Balkans and a free reign southwards towards Turkey and southwards towards what today we call Iran. Hitler is not impressed. Hitler does not want this. So basically, this is a one-man, one-sided crash. The Soviet Union wants the deal. Nazi Germany does not give the deal. And yet Soviet Union is, again, desperate for this deal, something that most communists will want today to forget. It's a, it would be a very strong possibility that by 1940, Soviet Union would be part of the Axis. And to be clear, to be 100% just, equally possible would be for the Soviet Union to be fighting the Germans even before the war began, when they actually invaded Czechoslovakia, because uh, Stalin was perhaps the most eager from the French or the English 
to attack Hitler early on. So we have to be very, very clear on something because, again, many we're going to hear from many objectives quite often that, oh, because they were both totalitarians, they would get on well together. No, the simple thing was Stalin was an imperialist, Hitler was an imperialist. Sometimes their agendas would meet. This, however, doesn't take away the, the fact that, again, Soviet Union could have been part of the Axis very easily in 1940 if only Hitler would give them Bulgaria and Romania. Of course, Hitler had different plans, so this never happened. So what would you say, though, though Mark, to someone who say, look, this is realism. This is, uh, this is how international relations works. This is how war works. Stalin did what he had to do. Well, I think he did do what he had to do uh, as an imperialist power to try to grow his territory and expand the the reach of communism. Um, I don't I don't know that it, that it was to build up his military necessarily to fight Hitler it was to get as much as he could without fighting. To be honest. Yeah. That, so <laughs> Poland was a Poland was a, a good example of what you said. They got Poland by basically promenading in Poland, and that's why Stalin thought the same would happen with Finland. And of course, it did not happen. Which, by the way, the situation in Finland in many ways reminds us the situation with Ukraine today. The Red Army thinking they're going to have an easy way and actually uh, getting, a very harsh, uh, getting a very harsh lesson. Okay, so then we find ourselves in June 1941, the German attacks. So the Wehrmacht marches in Soviet Union and completely, completely overwhelms Soviet defense. Also, we have to say this was the biggest concentration of troops, perhaps, in human history. And this was a concentration of troops that was building up in the borders for months, if not years. Germany was giving some pathetic excuses to Stalin. Stalin, completely simping to Hitler, was uh, still hoping to cut a deal even after the Wehrmacht attacks. And Stalin does a huge, huge, huge strategic mistake to throw millions of his troops, to a huge amount of his troops at the very border, at the very, big, at, at the very edge of the border. So once the Wehrmacht overwhelms them, very quickly, the Soviet Union has a devastating defeat that almost cost them the war. Stalin has almost a mental collapse. He, in the first days, he doesn't even have the courage to give a speech to his people. His actual speech comes only days later. He retreats to his data, and at some point, Berry and the other uh, the other members of the inner circle show up, and Stalin thinks that they are literally there to arrest him because he screwed up so bad. But the Soviet Union has the numbers. The Soviet Union has also, uh, and this has to be mentioned, a fierce, 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 fierce spirit of resistance vis-a-vis the Nazis, because the Nazis also engaged in a war of extermination. So it's a, it's a matter of survival. Within months, Soviet Union, sorry, Germany reaches 20 miles from the Kremlin. So the German army reaches the outskirts of Moscow, but this is where slowly, 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 slowly the war starts to turn. The Soviets managed to keep Moscow and in one of the most important morale-boosting moments of the Second World War, in the 7th of November, when uh, actually it was the anniversary of the Russian Revolution, Stalin says we're going to have a parade in the Red Square, as usual, with the Germans 20 miles away. He was very lucky because of the clouds 
the Germans could not bomb them. Otherwise, there was a possibility that they would bomb the parade with Stalin there. And the people, the, the troops leave from the parade straight to the front. And this is where uh, this is where the war starts changing. Interesting point. This is the point where Stalin has the first contact with the West. And Roosevelt and Churchill tell him, we're with you. And with the, with the Germans, at the outskirts of Moscow, Stalin already thinks of the next day. Stalin already starts bargaining with the West. Look, we need to figure out what we're going to do with Germany after the war. And basically, he says, he starts implying, I want half of the Germany after the war. So let's pause at this point, Mark. So we are in 1941. We have seen that the Germans have won everywhere. The whole of Europe is under the Germans. With the exception of England, but England is isolated, it's under attack. Even in places where they gave them some good fight, like Greece is the obvious example, and Crete, the Germans won. If the Germans occupy Soviet Union easily, the war in Europe is over. Because you only have England, there is nowhere to do, there is no, no nowhere to attack Germans, basically. So there's a good possibility that the war ends there and then. So is it a good time then, in 1941, to tell to Stalin, look, fight them off. We are here to help you. We're going to help you. Do you think this was a good step by the West? Um, sure. I don't mind arming them to fight each other. Okay. Or giving them giving them enough money so that they can build the weapons to fight each other. So the and this was this was also the line, let's say, by Ayn Rand when it came to the war that the the Soviet unions and the Germans would should fight it off. But what many people don't take into accordance is that to fight it off, the West thought that it had to help Soviet Union. So it's one thing to say, okay, you fight it off. And it's another thing to say, I'm going to help you to fight it off because otherwise the Germans are going to are going to win. So th there's a question there, though, that did Soviet Union win based on the help from the West? And you're going to hear many objectivists today saying this. And I beg to differ there. And I beg to differ because of some simple facts. So, yes, indeed, the fact that Stalin knew that he had the help from the West was very important. However, the most important aid from the West, the most important assistance by the West came in 1943. And yet the crucial moment in the war is 1942. And of course, we're talking about the Battle of Stalingrad. We're talking about perhaps the harshest battle in the history of the world. Uh, there are some statistics according to which your life expectancy as a soldier in Stalingrad was something like 24 hours. Now, I don't know how they could uh, calculate this, but it was a brutal, brutal, brutal battle that lasted, that cost the life of 2 million uh, people from both, uh, from both sides. So the Soviets managed to keep Stalingrad, actually, and to encircle the Germans in Stalingrad, they managed to withstand the siege of Leningrad, and this is before the big parts of the assistance from the West was there. So that's why I think in terms of... This is before yeah. land lease? So land lease was already on. 
but if you see if you see how the help reached the Soviet Union, it was possibly by ship. By the time Soviet Union has done these crucial victories, the help is the biggest part of the help is not there yet. So ironically, you could say the West is mostly helping Soviet Union to fight the second part of the war, which is storming of Eastern Europe. So, and that's the that's that's the that's the irony that the most significant help that Soviet Union gets is on its aggressive part of the world, where it pushes the Wehrmacht out more and more outside from the Soviet Union. And then Soviet Union starts marching on, quote, liberating or quote or unquote, liberating Eastern Europe, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, with the with opposite order. And then slowly Poland and then reaching into Soviet, uh, reaching into Germany as well. Many thanks to Marilyn, many thanks to Christopher for your contributions. I'm also interested in what are your, uh, what is our audience's view on this, uh, on this topic. So what happens, what happens then? We enter a different place, a different stage of the war, which is the offensive of the Soviets, which ends up in Reichstag in 9th of May in 1945. So let me give you some numbers here, Mark, which is what the Russians today and the Soviet sympathizers say, and they consider it the end of the discussion. So they would say that the Soviet Union gave something like 20 to 25 million people to the cause of the war against the Nazis. They would bring up that... 30%, more than 30% actually, of the casualties of the whole world war, including Japan, the Pacific, Africa, everywhere, 30% of the casualties happened only in the Eastern Front. And they would also say that for every one German who died anywhere in Second World War, nine died fighting the Soviets. So it would be impossible to imagine a victory for a victory in World War II without Soviet Union. So I want to ask you this. Wouldn't it be, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, wouldn't it be a huge betrayal to then turn your back to Soviet Union and tell them, look, you've given 20 million plus of your people to this victory? Tough luck now. You're going to fight us as well. The war goes on. What would you say to that? Well, I don't think there's any such thing as tough luck to a totalitarian regime. I, I don't think you can you can get too tough with them. I think um, you can spit exactly in their face, even though they've lost 25 million people. Um, those people aren't anything to Stalin, right? They're statistics to Stalin. They're not human beings. That's why he threw them onto the front and didn't care if the if the Wehrmacht you know flew over them and bombed the crap out of them. He had lots of personnel. He had lots of bodies to throw on things. So uh, yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that. Uh, yeah, I think we should have rolled. I think we should have rolled up on them for sure. The question is how to how could this be done? So I've heard uh, people say, well, we should nuke them like that would be so you have to remember that in most camps of western europe there were very 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 strong uh, left-wing movements communist movements uh, france is an example italy is an example 
And in a way, Soviet Union was holding the leases for them to gaining power because they were part of the resistance, they were armed, and it was easy for them to gain power. So the, prag the pragmatists would say, look, Churchill managed to cut this deal with Stalin, and with this deal, he managed to keep basically Western Europe. He sacrificed Eastern Europe, who was under control, the control of the Soviet Union for till 1989. But by doing this, they managed to keep uh, Western Europe. Now, of course, if you're a Hungarian, if you're a Pole, if you're a Czech, this doesn't sound a good deal to you. Because imagine if someone was born in 1945. This is, this is like... I'm not good at math. This is like 45 years of your life. The first 45 years of your life, you live in a regime which is in the beginning ultra totalitarian. Later, it becomes uh, less uh, brutal, but still an authoritarian regime, still a dictatorship, still a regime in which uh, your life is not the life that it could be. So, but again, the realist would say tough decisions had to be made and... Uh, you couldn't, uh, everyone was too tired to keep fighting and then, therefore they had to give Stalin what he, what he wanted. Well, ever since, ever since that capitulation, we've been in more or less perpetual warfare with communism. And for the next 45 years, you know, drop and cover drills were something the kids in the 50s and 60s grew up with. I grew up with them even um, because the threat of a nuclear holocaust was ever present in in people's minds um i mean they did a they did like an abc movie of the week called the morning after or something like that that was a famous famous uh to take on on the nuclear apocalypse and you know the the soviets uh they they more or less urged on the the, the problems in north vietnam and south vietnam they urged on the koreans they built the the chinese or help to build them militarily, and we feared, and and they and they and of course we're in in our southern hemisphere, and they we feared that they all moved in lockstep with each other, and that to attack one meant all of them it would be a major conflagration, and that kept us from destroying the Soviet Union, which frankly should have been done. <laughs> so since I played the devil's advocate from one side, now I'll I'll I'll, I'll switch to your side and just give the 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 facts. The first is what you said, that without Soviet Union, there is no communist China. Without Soviet Union, I would say there is no Arab nationalism, particularly with the dark yep. side it got with uh, Nasser or with terrorism. Without Soviet Union, there is no uh, North Korea. Without Soviet Union, there is no North Vietnam. So many or of Iran. the... Or Iran. So you could even say Iran, although, of course, the Iranian communists were suckers because they supported Khomeini. Next thing they know, they hang from the lamps because Khomeini turned their back on them and actually destroyed Tudeh, which was the Iranian Communist Party. The Soviets are sending them Russian nuclear technology now and helping them build a nuclear arsenal. So, you know, they don't have a conscience when it comes to who they weaponize. So I cannot disagree with you that almost every behind every bad thing that every bad actor you find something that has to do with the Soviet Union. It's still though unclear to me what exactly could have been done in <clears throat> around 40-45. Like attacking Soviet Union would be, I think, unimaginable at that at that point. So 
You could say the student, the student uh, gives so much to Stalin. The student, first of all, the student believes Stalin. Stalin in the Yalta, the famous Yalta conference, he promised them, for example, that the Czech Republic would be and Hungary would be, they would have free elections, that they would have, quote, popular front governments, which means communists and some other people, of course. Yeah, this meant Churchill, that- Churchill wasn't fooled, but Roosevelt was. Roosevelt was dying by that point and, and was rather fond of Uncle Joe. Remember, he called him Uncle Joe. Um, so, uh, and... and for him, it was probably politically expedient to get it over and, and done with. But you know, for the rest of us, it gave us 50 years of suffering. 50 years of, uh, of, of suffering and also to how many lives it, it cost in terms of... So some, some of the darkest... Again, I mentioned the betrayal of the German communists. Here's something else which I can't wrap my mind around. Imagine being a Soviet soldier captured by the Germans being a POW, and then you see the Red Army coming and liberating you, and then you are in a train going to a gulag because the fate Uh of hundreds of thousands of POWs were, of Soviet POWs, were to go to gulag because the idea is you were captured, something is wrong with you, or you you were liberated by the Westerners, now you have contact with Westerners, off you go. Like, imagine having lived an absolute hell for five years or for two years, three years. And then you are on your way for eight more years in the gulag till 53 when Stalin died. Like it's unbelievable the, the, the immorality of this, the, the immorality of this regime. Or not even to mention the, according to some historians, the biggest mass rape incidents in human history, which was the rapes by the Red Army, in the in uh, in Germany, once they liberated them. So I think to to wrap up, there is zero doubt that Soviet Union is not the good guy here, for for two reasons. First, because again, in 1940 they could have been part of the Axis if only Hitler accepted their deal, and also because the cost for the quote liberation of Europe was the de facto occupation of Europe by the Red Army for 45 years. At the same time, though, I think it's a complete closing of one's eyes to the facts of reality to say that Soviet Union did not play a huge role in the defeat of Nazism. And no, they didn't win because of American help. They won because of the 20 million plus people who died. And this has to do with two things that they had all these casualties. One of these is that they were cannon fodder, as you said. But also another thing is that the Nazis, they were, they were nowhere so inhumane as they were with the Soviets. So their orders in terms of killing in Soviet Union were uh, different from many other countries. Although we have to say, when it comes to per capita, according to some sources, Poland had more losses than Soviet Union. But this doesn't matter. So just want to be objective here and... Uh, recognize what is the what I see as the situation with I think at any historical point, record. I also think at any point if the West showed cashews in the conflicts that happened post-World War II, we would have stifled uh, the Soviet, the illusion of the Soviet bear, because that's frankly what it was. And, and we had the opportunity again in Korea when China entered the war and pushed us all the way down the peninsula. MacArthur did a series of turning movements 
that stretched the Chinese army so thin that they were starving to death and dying on the vine. He went to Truman and uh, asked to hit their infrastructure. I think he might have asked to use tactical nuclear weapons, but he wanted to go attack China's interior, cut off their army completely from the infrastructure and starve them out, which was entirely possible, by the way. Instead, uh, Truman decided to take MacArthur off the case. And just simply that, and that we wouldn't have a red China. We also put the Seventh Fleet in the in the Straits of Taiwan to, to protect uh, the communist Chinese from invasion from Chiang Kai-shek. We did everything we could to show the communists that we weren't the bad guys. And, and we could have annihilated them right out of the bat. There would, there would have been no uh, communist Chinese, there'd be no CCP. And I think the Soviet Union would have taken an object lesson from our treatment of them and pulled back from their imperialism. And we could have taken care of them in, in South America as well. Well, uh, I didn't know that you are a history aficionado, so I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm glad to find to figure this out. We can well, make, we you, can have you know, you know way more about. I mean, I've I've uh, I've I've read quite a bit about World War II, but you you have it at the tips of your uh, your fingers. Okay, that's that's cool. We can we can have more stuff on history. Okay, let's finish with our super chat. So, Marilyn, thanks. I don't think we owe the Soviet Union anything. They didn't respect the rights of their own citizens. This is true, and they, of course, they didn't respect also the people they quote liberating. So Ali says, Ray Ray says, German army delayed for two weeks in attacking Russia due to having to divert order to help the Italian army in Greece, detrimental and played a role in a, in a bill to defeat Russia. So as a Cretan and as a Greek, I grew up with this uh, myth, or actually, I don't want to, with this hypothesis. It's very difficult to believe it as true. For two reasons. A, when Hitler uh, drew the plan for the Barbarossa operation, the plan was anyway to have it in June. Now, whether it happened the 21st of June or in the 1st of June, I don't think that would have made a huge difference. So as a Greek, I like to believe this hypothesis. The more I think about the more I read about it, the more I think it's a myth But it's a nice story. So you don't think three, two weeks, two, three weeks would have made a difference? I mean, they get bogged down in the winter, right? I mean, that's what that's what essentially kills them. Three weeks from 30 miles outside of Moscow could be, you know. Yeah, but they were there in November. It's not it's not the winter that stopped them. I mean, in 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 Leningrad, they were fighting for three weeks, for for three for almost three seasons. So I don't think it's the winter. Were the Germans completely, completely unprepared for a winter war? Yes. Hitler was, his idea was basically, if, if you cannot handle the cold uh, wearing shorts, you're a loser. So he, they were a bit unprepared. No, they were actually unprepared. But I don't think these two weeks made a huge difference. Or put differently, if they didn't divert to go towards Stalingrad and they would go and take first Moscow, like the, the winter wouldn't have played any role. So they did mistakes, but I don't think these two weeks delay played such a big uh, role. Jonathan says, when you go to, quote, when you get to America, tell them that Russia is a giant cemetery and we are all dying slow. Said to Iran in 1925 as he was leaving Russia. This was true. Again, whatever we say about Russia, I will agree. But the discussion today is, uh, this does not take away that facts are facts and uh, without 
a Soviet victory against Nazi Germany, it could very well be the case that the root of the war would be different. Now, people will say, yeah, but in 45, uh, we had the nuclear bomb. You don't, if the war is basically in Europe is done in 42, you don't know what would have happened in 45. What would the Americans do? Start bombing the entire of Europe, which was occupied? Probably the American would never have even entered the war. Marlin says, we, would, we could have taken a principled stance against the Soviet Union, but Roosevelt and his ilk had no principles. No question about that. They were pragmatists and uh, they well, were, uh, they were thinking about the short term. I think the brain trust was pro-Soviet as well. So it wasn't just that he was a pragmatist. They certainly didn't know what they were doing most of the time, but they did tend towards believing that the Soviet Union was creating the optimal society and they wanted to join in that experiment for sure. And uh, the, the president before uh, Roosevelt, Hoover, so when he was leading this committee in the parliament, which was about something like foreign aid or something, so they bailed out and they, so- they saved Soviet Union from starvation in 1921, 1922. So they, so they saved Lenin, basically. And uh, in Okon this year, I have a talk, the Soviet Union and the nature of evil or something like that. I don't remember the exact title, which goes through the history of Soviet Union and how the, he- the West time and again bailed them out or the sanction by the intellectuals in the West played a role in the, in the fact that this regime uh, had the face to appear in the international community rather than being a, an embarrassment and being a, a regime that should be ridiculed and disdained. Because here's the thing, like doing some research in the Soviet Union, here's what I found most surprising. Every single thing that we now know was horrendous in Soviet Union, you could have known back then. Gulags you could have known. They were open. You literally had Western intellectuals taking tours on Gulag. You had Maxim Gorky, uh, Soviet intellectuals taking tours on Gulag. The Moscow trials, they were broadcasted in the radio. So there was not a single thing that we didn't know and we found out later. We forgot to talk about the massacre of Katyn, talking about crimes of uh, the Red Army during World War II, but that could be a whole episode. Okay, so that's all for today. Upcoming, 9 p.m. UK time, HBTV with Harry Binswanger. And the topic is refuting Hume on the sphere of ethics. Mark, parting words after I thank you for uh, being such a good uh, co-host <laughs> and such a good uh, historical uh, co-geek. Well, well, likewise, uh, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed rehashing all those World War II facts. Um yeah, I mean, it's time for Russia to stand down and uh, we, we got to uh, we, we got to do something about these guys for sure. Not sure how that's going to happen not in, in today's day and age, but we should have done something about it a long time ago. We should have never bailed them out in 21. Um, I think we've made I think we've pretty much made uh, uh, the economies of every single one of our enemies uh more more strong you know altruism writ large in our in our political policy has has grown these monsters and it's time to starve them and last last point after world war ii the west is begging stalin to uh, accept the marshall plan also in eastern europe (laughs) stalin of course uh, stalin says no because he's afraid that uh, okay they're gonna 
they're gonna get too friendly with the West. But it's not it's not for lack of Western uh, willingness that the Marshall Plan didn't go to every single communist ruler in Eastern Europe. Okay, that's all. We're gonna be back with more history soon. Talk soon. Bye bye. Peace.